Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. It's good to have you all here. So um, uh, let's get straight into this. Let me, let me pray and let's go for it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for every person in the room tonight. And I pray, whoever we are, whether we're in, wherever we are on the spectrum of faith tonight, I pray that you would bring us to a point of good decision in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, uh, we're going to get an image on the screen, I hope, and, and uh, a couple of them, actually. And these images are from 2020. Actually, one of them is they're there. Great. Look at that. That is New Year's 2020. Actually, New Year's Eve. 2020. There's another image there somewhere. But I, I want you to, there we are. Look at that. What a family. We are in the United, that's actually in Canada, but we're in a Northern American trip. And it was my one thing on my bucket list was to give our kids a white Christmas. Uh, it didn't look like it was going to happen for a lot of years. And in 2020, Bron kind of drove the agenda that we're doing it this Christmas. And I thought we should wait another year and save a bit more money. And we went with bon, Bron's plan. How fortunate was that? January 1, 2020, we were in New York City, no masks, no idea about COVID, no travel restrictions, the rest, etc. you know. How much has the world changed in one year and 10 months? One year and 10 months. What a different world we live in. It's, it's changed so much. And and I think the change is, well, we're, we're, it's still going on, isn't it? And there's probably a long way to go. And, and beyond all the chain that, change that comes to mind for, for us, um, I've noticed this, that people are asking big questions and making big changes. They're, they're, people are asking big questions and maybe we call it to consider good change. Have you in this period? Asking big questions that consider good change. And, I was in Armidale, in our Armidale church this morning, which has just been transformed over the last year, and, and uh, we had a bunch of people who uh, responded to this message today and determined to make a decision around Jesus. And, and, and when I was after it, I was talking to a couple who live out of town, and they were telling me that just in their community of a few hundred people, uh, multiple families have moved in and up into the hills and out of cities. And, and what's going on across Australia right now is a regional relocation out of big cities, right? For the first time, regional relocation is in positive growth compared to city transfer. People are make, asking big questions because they want to make good decisions. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, the World Economic Forum uh, is, is thinking about and making um, strategies for the what they're calling the Great Reset. And the Great Reset has all sorts of theories, opinions, end-of-the-world predictions. Um, all, there's lots of emotion around it, but the, in, in its purest form, form the economic, Global Economic Forum, is um, what they're actually trying to do is strategically shift in the best interests of humanity um, the, the, the financial framework, and they're calling it the Great Reset. And then there's what they're calling, Bron showed me this article a couple of weeks ago called uh, The Great Resignation. Now, if you've read it, Microsoft did a uh, Microsoft estimate that 40%, right? 40%. If we just get here and put Bronny over there with the majority of the room and the newlyweds and the rest of us, 40% here, 
this many people out of this size group are rethinking their job. 40% of the global workforce is estimated to be rethinking their job. If you work on our staff, hopefully you're not rethinking it. And hopefully we're not rethinking your future either, Brody Keeley. No, only kidding. They, 40%. Have you heard of anything like They call it the great resignation. Great resignation, great reset, relocation, regional relocation. I want to talk to you tonight about the great return. The great return because the, 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 we want to be asking, I think it's a time when we want to be asking big questions to make good decisions. Big questions to make good decisions. And, and the questions don't get any bigger than God. That is as big as it gets. I want you to think about your next biggest question. Who will you marry? Where will the Sydney Swans or the Canterbury Bulldogs finish on the ladder? Will the ashes go ahead? All the important questions of life, I want you to put them in contrast to God and you. Asking the big questions. Is it a good time to ask big questions that make good change? And so I want to talk to you about the great return for a few minutes. And it doesn't matter where you're at. You might be in rebellion from God. You've got something to consider tonight. You might be a, a curious about God, a seeker of God. You might be in drift from God. Um, or you might be fully devoted to God, wherever you are across the spectrum. I want you to consider this tonight because there's a response from you. And as it relates to the Christians in the room, um, there are two big things going on, two big shifts going on in the church. Here are the two shifts that are going on simultaneously. When you think about everything I've just said, it's hard to believe that one of them is taking place. The two big shifts going on in the church, inside the church right now, are those who are drifting from God in their commitment to God. The Bible kind of talks about in the last days there'll be a falling away. Some think that might be it. And, and whilst there might be and there is a data to prove that, there also is people making deep, devoted decisions. They're reconfirming. They're asking big questions and making good change in a season like this all across the world. And so let's talk about the great return, the great return to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 say this. They, they kind of capture it for us. He, that being Jesus, personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. What a great thought that, that Jesus, um, as Christianity teaches it, died on a cross um, for the sins of the world and in him paying the price, a substitutionary um, replacement for us, in him paying that price, made things right, the punishment of sin right with God for us as we trust in what he has done. And then it goes on and says, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now, but now you have returned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. It says, once you were like, you were just going your own way, you were doing your own thing, and, but now you have returned to the shepherd, to the guardian of your souls. And, and, and in some version it says turn, in some version it says return. We can take both in, but it's talking about turning from our own way, going God's way, or returning to the shepherd of our souls. And that captures the essence of the great return. So as we get started, wherever you're up to, um, I want you to just think about the great return tonight as we go to the book of Matthew. Because in the book of Matthew, written by Matthew, or at least for the longest time scholars have thought that, Matthew's written this eyewitness account of he was there. 
Anyone seen Kathy Freeman run at the 2000 Olympics? My favourite Australian sporting moment. Kathy Freeman, 2000 Olympics. Anyone see it? Who was there? There is a difference between hearing about it and being there. Matthew was there. He saw Jesus do ministry for three years. Matthew, with his own eyes, saw Jesus do all the miracles he did. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus resurrected from the grave. He was so convinced that Jesus was resurrected from the grave that as a white eyewitness, he wrote this account while others were still living who were there as well. And he was so convinced it's thought that Matthew actually was um, killed for his faith. You need to be pretty convinced of someone rising from the dead if you're going to die for your eyewitness account. So Matthew's this eyewitness and he was there. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. And this is Matthew's eyewitness account. And in this moment we get Matthew telling his return to God's story. Matthew 9, 9, he says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Imagine he knew what this is. How would you have described yourself if you knew it was going to last 2,000 years? As Jesus went on from there, he saw Darren. And I tell you what, he could see that Darren was full of potential and had a future. I don't know, I might not have written I was a tax collector when you understand what a tax collector was back in the day. And he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth and said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now that sounds weird. Tax collectors were pretty wealthy people. And that what, Jesus came along and Matthew got up and left? Yes, but why did he? Because by this time Jesus has gathered a small group and by this time Jesus' fame has spread and by this time thousands of people are turning up to hear Jesus speak and there's miracles going on and, and Matthew's heard about him. And in Matthew's eyes, in their culture, the biggest thing you could do with your life was be a rabbi and the next best thing you could do was be the disciple of a rabbi. It was like, if you're an Insta-lover, if you're someone who would love to be an influencer, um, you know, in, in this age, and Mr. Beast, Lockie, Mr. Beast came up to you, if you know Mr. Beast, and said, I'm going to teach you everything to know about becoming an influencer, you'd be like, I'm in. I'm in. And so this is like that, except way bigger. And Matthew's like, I'm in. He gets up and he leaves and he follows Jesus. And Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew says, Back to him, essentially, I will follow. And God says to you and I, follow me. And our response that he wants back from us is, I will follow. The great return is as simple as, I will follow and I will follow. See, when Matthew stands up and begins to follow Jesus, I don't think he even knows yet that Jesus is the Messiah or that he is the Saviour. All Matthew knows for sure is that he is a rabbi and some pretty miraculous things are going on. And but So Matthew is going to go on the journey and he's just going to keep taking his next step in, I will follow Jesus. And that's what the great return is. And tonight, wherever you're at, whether you're in rebellion from God, a seeker of God, curious about God, in drift away from God, or devoted to God, there's a next step in, I will follow for you and for me. And so, for Matthew, this was simple and it was big. It was simple because of who he understood Jesus to be and it was big because Matthew was pretty wealthy. It was simple, and it was big, it was a challenge, and it was liberating. And, 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 and before we move on, I just want us to think about how revolutionary 
what a revolutionary insight into God this is. And then I'm going to get super practical with you and I. How revolutionary uh, an insight into God this is. That God, or that Jesus, being God in the flesh, asks a tax collector to follow him. If you understand the time that, that to be a tax collector for the Roman Empire in your local community was basically, it, it was the scum of the earth. When tax collectors are mentioned in the Bible, they talk about tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. In, in fact, tax collectors are the only sinners who get called out on their own sometimes. These guys were hated by the local communities. They were hated by their fellow countrymen. Imagine us in that time and I'm the tax collector and I'm, I'm extracting as much as I can in taxes from you. I'm giving a share to the Roman Empire at your expense and I'm making myself rich in the process. That's who Matthew was. They say that the best modern-day equivalent that we could come up with is the drug dealer selling drugs to a kid around the back of a school. That's how loathed they were. And Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, you're my guy. Come on. Matthew hasn't changed yet. He didn't have to change to follow Jesus. He knew that Jesus knew that if he followed Jesus, that Matthew would change. And Matthew just gets up and he goes and he's like, I, he, he, this is big because of all of that he's got, but this is big because nobody's offering him to follow a rabbi. In fact, they actually make comment on it. This was a revolutionary insight into the way that God is. In fact, Jesus takes it further. Listen to this. We think this is Matthew's house that he's at. Mark chapter 2, Jesus later, uh, later Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of um, disreputable guests. Not many of you are invited. Maybe Greg Herkham. Unlike, unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them, more than a few of them had become followers. The religion scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and they, they lit into his disciples. I'm not sure, is that how they say that? So it says, what kind of example is this? They said, acting oozy, cozy, sorry, I thought that was weird, with misfits. It's a great insight to God of who he is and what he's like. And now here's what I want you to do is we think, I will follow. That's what I want you to bring, bring you to today. I will follow. It's that simple. That's all Matthew did. As we come to I will follow, I want you to think about two headline, headline statements that Jesus makes around I will follow. You ready? Here they are. First one is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen to this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Or just let me put in brackets. If I'm burned by a church, I understand there's a process. But it doesn't give me an option to opt out. It gives me an option to walk in grace and forgiveness and to move on and be, you know, all that. It says, come to me. That's his response to burned. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Don't you love Jesus? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's nearly my favorite sentence in the whole Bible. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll live to, learn to live freely and lightly. That's what Jesus says will be the story for those who say, I will follow. And don't you love that? And to be honest, I love that. I love the picture of God. I love the heart of God in this. I love this. And I wish that was the only statement he made because I'd love to just preach that. Here's the next one. I will follow. 
two headline statements. Mark 8.34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Oh, I was good. I was good with Matthew 11. I like the rhythm of grace one, Jesus. What are you talking about? Take up my cross and follow you. And so, so we get both here. He says, hey, follow me. And here's what I want you to know. It's going to be liberating. It's going to be life-giving. It's going to be full of grace. I want you to know that. And I want you to know that at some point, it's going to challenge you. At some point, it's going to cost you at will. But I want you to know, I will follow is always worth it. And so, so we have these two things going on. Uh, I've found both of these truths, or both of these things to be true. The rhythm of grace and all of it, and the, it's going to challenge me and cost me something. And, and the idea is, when, when, when for me at least, um, I found that in following Jesus, I need to, um, how have I put it here? Simul, they simultaneously exist in perpetual tension. They're both always in play in my life. It's part of follow me. Yes, Lord, I will follow. They're both perpetually in my life and under tension. And, and, and when I'm challenged by the second statement, this will cost me, I see it through the filter of the first, that, that Jesus has my best in mind. And, and I can honestly say that for 29 years in I will follow, that I can say now that it's always turned out that Jesus clearly had my best in mind. He had the best intent. And if I look at my life to this point, I can say the only time I might live with regret around I will follow is when I have not followed. But there's not a single regret around I will follow because the first passage is true and the second is true and he calls us to this I will follow life. And so it relates to you and I. Um, so now let's get super practical. Let's, let's, let's walk this out with the minutes that we have. I want us to think about two human stories Jesus mentioned as it relates to um, the great return or I will follow. The first one, is an often quoted story. And so I'm just going to give you the headline. We're not going to read through it. And the second is a rarely um, quoted one. And it's going to speak to the Christians in the room. First one's going to speak to the curious and to the seeker and to the rebellious Lockie Bunnell. It's going to speak to you guys. And the second one's really going to, I wanted to get the attention of anyone that, well, you might not call yourself religious, but either the people outside of here would. So um, whatever. So, so the first one is this, often quoted story, is the story of the prodigal son. Many of you will know it. Some of you will not. The prodigal son. And the story, Jesus telling a story, and he says, hey, this, this uh, father had two sons, and one of them wanted his inheritance so he could go and off and spend it in wild living. And so that's what he did. He heads off, and he spends it in wild living, and he's, it's party time. He's getting as far away from his father as he can. And he spends it in wild living and he's suddenly got lots of friends and he's super cool until the money runs dry. If you've ever lived that, you know that's true. I definitely can tell you from experience that your know, friends dry up when the money dries up. They don't take much longer than the money drying up for the friends to dry up. And his life starts to just spiral. And the good news is he comes to his senses. The Bible actually says, and when he came to his senses, he thought, I'll return to my father. So he goes back to the father. And what I love, it's this picture of God, obviously, and, and as he returns to the Father, you, if you don't know the story, the moment the Father sees him, the Bible says that the Father starts to run towards him. And in Jewish culture, I'm told that that was undignified. 
And the Bible makes a point to a Jewish audience that God the Father is prepared to run in an undignified way, no matter how bad the son's life has been, and he embraces him. And there's no mention of what the son has done wrong, only that we're about to throw a party that no one will be able to forget. He says, go get the best calf and get the, get the family ring and get everything. And, and uh, you know, it's, it, it would be like me throwing my ring on the ground and say, Bron, I'm out of here, and off I go for 10 years. And when she sees me walk into the street with my head down and my life in ruins and she hears the word that around the corner that I'm coming back to beg for mercy, that Bron runs out from the house and that she brings the ring that I'd once committed my life to her with. And as she sees me, she embraces me as I try to cry and apologize. She says, no, Darren, and she puts the ring on. And by the time we get back to the home, everybody's there and they're ready to party like you can only party in heaven. And that's the story. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Oh, the great return of the lost son. We serve an incredible God. And, but there's another story. There's another story that he tells here about two sons. And I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 31. He says, tell me what you think of this story. A man had two sons. He went up to the first son and said, son, Go out for the day and work in the vineyard. And the son answered, now I want my children to listen to this, not on a spiritual level, but a practical one. And the son answered, I don't want to. Later on, he thought better of it and went. The father gave the same command to the second son. He answered, sure, glad to. But he never went. Jesus said, which of the two sons did what the father asked? Well, that's pretty obvious, right? And they said, the first one. Yes, and I tell you that crooks, and whores. Crooks and whores. I think in our day we might put, well, I'm thinking of something that I won't even say to you. And sex traders. So imagine how bad the one I won't say to you is. We're going to proceed into God's kingdom ahead of you. John came to you showing you the right road. You turned up your noses at him. But the crooks, the whores, the sex traders, the corrupt, the drug dealers, they believed him. Even when you saw their changed lives, you didn't care enough to go and change yours. The great return. It's possible. See, Jesus isn't telling this story out in the market or down amongst the prostitutes. This story unfolds in the temple. In the temple. And he says, hey guys, I'm glad you all came today. I've got a story for you. I want you to know that some of you, even though you're here in this religious gathering, I want you to know that the way you live means you're going to be outside the kingdom of heaven. Because though you're in the religious gathering, there's nothing about your life to reflect it. Now, what's Jesus trying to do? Is he trying to condemn them? No. He's trying to get them to come home. He's trying to get them to return. He's trying to have a prodigal son moment with those that are in the house and it's harder for them to hear it and to get it because they feel safe because of where they sit. And he says, hey, I want you to know. Return. 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 It's time to come home. And so for the curious and the seeker, for the, are, you, are you ready to return to God and for the drifter, and for the devoted, are you ready for your next I will follow moment? As I wrap this today, I, I, I want to encourage you to let, we, let's just keep this simple. 
in terms of your next I will follow, let's just keep it really simple. Here's what I would love you to do. I would love you to do one of two things. I'd love you to do Alpha. Like millions and millions of people around the world. The face of Alpha's Bear grills. you should go check out his story on the, the net. But the other thing I'd like you to do is go on the journey that Matthew went on. Maybe go to the book of Mark because it's the shortest gospel and it's the simplest gospel. It makes the most sense really easily. And there's 16 chapters, so take the next 16 days. And when you hit your next moment where you have not yet followed, that you put the Bible down until you take the next step. So if you get to page one and they're saying, I will follow making decisions, and you haven't done that, make it. And if you get to a baptism moment and you haven't been baptized, and God says to you, follow me, you say, I will follow and get baptized. And if we get to a moment where our lifestyle doesn't match our confession, and we see it in Scripture, we go, okay, I will follow. Whatever it is that I will follow, I'm up for it. And just, just keep going until you hit your next I will follow moment. Keep it simple. Don't overthink it. Don't complicate it. And let me wrap with this. Imagine you're writing the gospel of, well, whatever your name is. Gospel of Nettie. The gospel of Frank. Good gospel. Slightly longer than Mark's gospel, I think. It's got a little bit more theology in it than Mark's gospel. Or my gospel, which is much shorter than Frank's and has very little theology in it. Somewhere, whatever your gospel, you're writing your story and you come to God speaking to you where you are. I want you to be able to write, as you read Mark, to go, he said, follow me and answer the next bit. And I said, did you say, and I got up and, it says, and he, I got up and, I got up and followed him. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.